Yeah. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Liberalish Podcast with Keith and Marcus. Uh, Keith, uh, can you believe that in 2020 we're going to have a chance to vote for uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris on the same ticket? I've never been so excited before in my life. You know, an 80-year-old um, guy and, um, you know, the cop. I'm so excited. It's it's a match made in heaven. I can't believe that, you know, this is where we're at. You know, these are the defense. This is, these are the two people that are going to save the free world. Um, I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to, to see how they do um, and, keep, and keep America. I don't know. I guess they're trying to make America great again in their own way, right? Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm going to miss make America great again. That was catchy. You know, I got straight to the point. I'm going to miss that slogan. It's such a great slogan. Even if he did steal it from a song, I guess, um, from the 80s, it's such a great slogan. It is a good slogan. I, I don't know, like, what, um, I guess, like, Kamala and Biden's, like, bringing back the status quo. I don't know. <sighs> I, don't, I think it's the days when we can wake up in the morning, check our Twitter feed, and not have to worry about our president bitching about uh, the news uh, being unfair or mean to him and people not liking him in the <sighs> deep state. Gonna miss those days. Ten more times, days. like uh, back in October of 2016. Ah, good old days. Yeah. But uh, I know I before we get into you know the DNC and the new Democratic candidates and his new vice president, I guess we have some news that we want to touch on first. Yes, yes, we do. Um, so kicking off the news, let's just talk about Africa. Uh, so in Mali, the military just staged a coup against the, uh, the president and the prime minister. They just arrested them for corruption charges. I just wanted to highlight this because in the news, we're talking mostly about Belarus and their president, but we should give some love to Mali and our motherland Africa. Uh, certainly some attention. I mean, I know Belarus gets a lot of uh, press because of their connection to or their proximity to Russia. And I guess there's some Russian interference that may have happened there as well. But I mean, the world is bigger than, uh, than Russia. Um, and as you said, Africa deserves, you know, the attention too. And especially if this turns uh, deadly and spills into other nations, we definitely want to pay attention to that uh, going forward. So, yeah, I'm definitely going to be looking out uh, to see what happens in Mali in that corner of the world. Yeah, I know, like, Mali has experienced, like, a lot of, like, I don't think they've ever had, like, peace per se. I know, like, France and the U.S. has, like, military operations going on throughout Mali. Um, it's an incredibly poor country. Um, but I think it's very resource rich, you know, surprise, surprise. Um, so I really do hope that like the military doesn't stay in power permanently or pull like an Egypt and just transition to like one of their generals or like a Zimbabwe and transition to like one of their generals or whatever. Um, I'm really hoping that they do transition peacefully to like a full fledged democracy and we'll finally see a full democracy there, hopefully. Yeah. I'm not sure if I'm, I'd, I'd want them to turn out like Zimbabwe or Egypt, um, I know those places, uh, those coups did not uh, end well if, you're, if you care about human rights, but I definitely would like to see a peaceful transition and one that, uh, you know, that works best for the people there. I mean, as you said, it's a country that's poor but resource rich. Um, it's mm-hmm. funny how that always seems to happen in places like this. I'd love to see the resource, the uh, wealth generated by that uh, resources uh, extend down to the citizens. But um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm just, just going to pray for Mali because these military situations can always go one way or the other. Um, uh, yep. I think they can go really bad really quickly, actually. So, yeah, we're 100%. 100%. Uh, so, prayers for Molly. Um, 
Moving on, speaking of democracy, uh, so the Postmaster General of the, uh, the United States Postal Service, he's been in the news a lot. Uh, so he recently just backed away from, uh, uh, from like his changes that he was taking, like, uh, I think like mail machines, um, you know, peel boxes or whatever, like those little blue boxes that you see on the side of the road. I don't know what they're called. Drop boxes? I don't know. Uh, yeah. They're being like taken away. Uh, he's finally stepping back from that, but I think he just had a hearing in Congress in which uh, he stated that the things that he did take away, um, he's not going to bring them back. Mm. So it seems like it could be, I don't know. I think their argument is, is that these were changes that were announced, you know, in the past um, that he was just, you know, put in place now. Implementing them. But uh, it's kind of close to an election and we're going to be relying more on mail-in voting. Uh, it's just, you know, he's a little fishy here. It's a little fishy too, because he's a big time uh, Republican benefactor. He's a guy that is, you know, has helped to run um, a couple of super PACs. He donated personally $400,000 to President Trump uh, back when Trump was running for office. Um, he's very much involved with uh, the dark money parts of um, the Republican party. So it's very, the fact that he's take, kind of taken over this job is basically, you know, helping out a friend, um, and then these changes that he's implemented at the post office, you know, could benefit his friend, whether it's, you know, being an, uh, an inability to collect all of the votes or get them all counted, or even just accept them and making uh, these post office uh, job boxes available or these sorting machines available. Um, I think that's the, just the possibility of interference. It seems like any time the Trump campaign or the Republicans party is empowered by Trump, uh, anytime they can kind of interfere uh, to make things easier for Trump, they do. Um, Right. So it's it's very curious that that's uh it, it just doesn't look good. It, the optics don't look good. Um, if I was him, I would kind of walk back the changes as as much as possible so that uh, I can kind of I don't look shady. But uh, I think when you when you're as wealthy as he is, and if you kind of live in that world, you're gonna do what you want. Um, I was actually gonna pull a devil's advocate here. For this oh really? Okay. Yeah. Yes, yes. So devil's advocate um, is basically where we argue for the other side. Um, so in this scenario, here's my devil's advocate. Yeah. Uh, so the United States Postal Service, we know that it's in a lot of debt. Um, you know, it's craving money. It needs like a bailout from Congress. Uh, but actually, the reason why it's losing money is due to like legislation, I think, dating back to, I want to say 2006, uh, in which they had to prepay um their employees like retirement benefits like way out in advance. No other company does that. No. Uh, because of that, they're running like a massive deficit. Now, the reason why I brought that up is that President Obama and you know I think it was a supermajority, at least close to it, was elected in Congress. I want to say in two thousand and nine, they had every opportunity to write the to write the ship per se with the uh, the postal office. They didn't. You know what I mean? So that's you know issue number one right there. Issue number two is like this concern for mail-in voting, right? A hundred percent, you know, we should be doing more mail-in ballots this election cycle, but why just this election cycle? It should have happened like in the past, both parties per se kind of let us down in that, in that aspect. And the reason why, so here in Florida, we have like mail-in ballots, super easy, super democratic. Yep. I can Google every single candidate, see what their policies are, write it in, I can drop it off or I can mail it in. Why is this something new? Why are states struggling with this? 
I just watched um, like last week tonight. They're talking about how it dated all the way back till the Civil War era of mailing ballots. So, you know, my devil's advocate is like, I understand, like, you know, this is like legend fraud, but like, hold on here. We should have had this solved years, decades ago. We absolutely should have. We yeah. absolutely should have. Um, I guess it took uh, it took a pandemic of this magnitude to kind of highlight the fact that we needed to fix this. I mean, you talk about it's something that Obama and his majority could have fixed in 2009, but if you right. recall, they were so focused on getting healthcare passed that and uh, that they didn't really think about. I mean, something like the like the post office. It wasn't it wasn't a priority uh, to put it simply, um, as uh, they as they were focused on a lot of other things. Um, yeah, I think I think another thing too. Uh, if I'm going to join you on this devil's advocate ride, uh, <laughs> I don't get how we can go shopping, we can go out to stores, we can go to the grocery store with a mask and be fine. I don't get why we can't do that for voting too. If you if you can go out for these other things, surely you can go vote with a mask on. Um, it's just really we have to make sure that the polling places are open, which I know is another a whole another battle as far as the voting rights thing goes. But yeah. If you have a mask, like I don't have a problem going and voting in person um, because right. I'm going to wear a mask. Every time I go out, I bring a mask with me. Um, I get that, that mail-in balloting should be available to everyone, mm-hmm. but it's not the end of the world that we don't have uh, mail-in uh, ba- uh, mail balloting or vote by mail. Just go right. and wear a mask and go vote, especially if you're, again, this is an issue more for as much for Democrats as anyone. Um, and this is kind of seen as a, when you obstruct the kind of mail-in balloting is hurting Democratic voters, but I think we're the side that's going to wear masks more when we go out than Republicans. Um, if you, especially if you look at places like Huntington, uh, California, Huntington Beach, California, where they don't want to wear masks, it's a mostly a Republican area, whereas you know Democrats are wearing masks when they go out, so that's not really an issue for us. So I just don't get why it's an issue, why it's as big an issue as it's become. Um, I can right. see definitely the the interference part definitely worries me. It's it's another sign of the corruption and the rot that Trump's brought in. But it's not right. something that I'm, you know, I'm not being I'm not that upset about it because um, right. I think there's a, there's an easy workaround here. Uh, so I'm just going to join in one more time with this devil's advocate, and we'll just get off this topic. Um, so I do remember shout out to the Bernie Bros that when uh, the primaries were still going on. And it was between like Bernie and Biden and Biden kind of like in theory he already won. Uh, but Bernie was kind of being like stubborn as Bernie does. And he was like waiting out. Mm-hmm. I do remember that he received like intense backlash because uh, the Milwaukee, I'm sorry, the Wisconsin primaries happened. And there was like that, that uh, Photoshop or not Photoshop, that photo op of like those long lines, like waiting to vote. And a lot of people were blaming Bernie and they were saying the same thing happened in Connecticut. And I'm just like, well, hold on here. Hold on here. <laughs> This is where the mail-in ballot conversation should have happened. Yep. You know, this is where that conversation should have started. Um, but as usual, as politics play out, they use that to get Bernie, you know, the heck out of here, which, you know, he did. He did a respectful thing. He bowed out the race. But I don't know. I think this is some hypocrisy on both sides. I mean, obviously, we don't want election interference at all or, um, you know, people not votes not getting counted. But I do think, like, there is some hypocrisy on both sides. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd agree with you there. Um, you know, no, one side is better than the other here. There's something that's it's something that both sides can do better on. Um, but I will point out that one side is, you know, working harder to make it uh, harder for the rest of us to vote. Um, all right. But, um, but yeah, what's next? All right. So what's next? The New York Times uh, just published an amazing article. So it was talking about our lovely men in blue, the New York Police Department. Um, 
Gubbler, right? So they're talking <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's disgusting. <laughs> uh, so uh, basically in this article, they're talking about since 1985, so I want to say, if I'm doing a map correctly, 35 years ago about, um, there was three, over 300,000 cases of police misconduct reports. Yep. Um, now I get it, I get it. it. It's like some people, if you're getting arrested by the cops, complain right see if that can help or whatever i get it like not every complaint is legitimate 100 percent understand that but uh since 1985 only 0.03 percent of police officers um were received any type of disciplinary action for those misconducts 0.03 percent 0.03 percent and that's okay, my, my math sucks up. what's the actual number because that sounds I, very small they didn't put the actual number they did say that uh, the report named 18,000 officers directly since 1985, of course, uh, and only 12 officers were terminated due to complaints. Since 1985, a 35-year span, only 12 cops were fired for you know police misconduct cases. Uh. I can't name another job outside of president that you can just get away with these type of stats. I just can't. That's sick. That's just sick. Um, What's even the point of taking the complaints? Like, what are you doing? Well, like, Why even bother? <laughs> this kind of like, you know, shout out to the defund the police crowd. This kind of highlights the call for defunding the police, right? Because yeah, we, if this was another country, we would highlight that if the, if the police were the military, this would not be considered a true democracy. This would be a fairly free country. Because like you can't have an institution, an armed part of your government, have no accountability whatsoever like this. You know, like 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 you can get arrested. Like for example, the New York City stop and frisk policy, highly unconstitutional. That should not happen in a democracy where like police officers can just get out their car, stop you, and frisk you while you're yeah. on your way to like school or to a store or something. Just that harass you at will. It should not be allowed to happen. That shouldn't be allowed to happen. Not at all. Also, it shouldn't be allowed to happen. Like, if police do act out, there should be like a system in place, not the police, <laughs> outside of the police, where like you know, if you have a complaint, it goes to that independent commission. They review it, and uh, you know that cop gets in trouble for it or not. Like after the investigation, it shouldn't go to the police department. It shouldn't go to the prosecutor's office, which relies on the same police department to get cases. It shouldn't rely on the state's attention. It should be like an independent structure. But for some reason, we can't have that, I guess, due to the power of the, uh, the police unions. We just can't have that here. That's insane to me. That's nuts. <laughs> yeah, it's insane that we would just, we give so much to the police unions. And I know that they're kind of, uh, they're a liberal kind of faction or a liberal caucus that we care a lot about. But I mean, we can't just give them this much power where they can kind of dictate how they're how they're regulated essentially it's a problem when banks do it it's a problem when police officers do it it allows for rampant abuse and you know when only 12 officers out of the 18,000 like you said are right. are being uh are being punished uh for misconduct like that's that's a glaring that's a glaring sign that there's something needs to change um and i think that's something that's you know i know we want to just speaking of it's not, it's not just a new york problem it's definitely a problem nationwide as you see the uh with you know right. i mean <laughs> beyond the taylor's covers have still not been arrested uh but yeah it's definitely right. something that when you think of uh, the governor of new york mario cuomo um you know he's you know been celebrated for his handling of COVID, but he's also someone that you know 
is not clamping back down on these things. Mayor de Blasio, who I know nobody likes on the left or the right, but he's not, he's not doing anything to kind of, uh, to fix these issues. And these are things that I think when we go forward and we decide, you know, who's going to lead us or who's going to be the leaders of our party or the leaders of, uh, I'm sorry, the leaders of the democratic party, the leaders of, you know, what we want this nation to be. Like we can't, we can't just co-sign these guys. We can't just let these guys get away with, uh, just kind of letting these people off uh, scot-free without any sort of sort of uh, punishment or any sort of accountability. Um, it's unaccept it's unacceptable. Um, and yeah, it's 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 sick. <laughs> it 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 just makes it's it's upsetting me. I'm shaking. Uh, so, yeah, I'm shaking. I love that line. Um, so speaking of like, uh, so you just named two Democrats that if you can summarize the Democratic Party into a person, it's going to be Governor Cuomo <laughs> or Mayor de Blasio. Right. Lots of promise. Oh, maybe not the Blasio. I don't think there's any pros about the Blasio. All right. I only work in New York, but God, that guy. <laughs> so I, I have like a lot of family in New York, so I go there a lot. So that's why I'm still like uh, up top of like near politics. But I will say this though, which was like, so I come from a military family, right? And, you know, even if like, for, there's, there's a lot, let's just face it. There's a lot of soldiers who don't like Trump. Let's just get it out there. Yep. Right. There's a lot of soldiers who probably didn't agree with the Iraq or Afghanistan war. Let's just throw that out there, right? You cannot turn your back on the president of the United States if he's in front of you, if he or she is in front of you. You just can't do that. The reason why I brought that up is like, so back when Eric Garner, unfortunately, was murdered by the police, uh, and Bill de Blasio spoke out against that and criticized the police, rightfully so, you did an illegal show code. Yep. On a guy that didn't do anything, he was just accused of it. Um, you did an illegal chokehold, killed him, and then like when you get criticized for doing that, you know, uh, the the police turned their backs on Mary Bill De Blasio. That that to me was just like, you know, you can't you can't yes. throw behind a patriotism argument that a lot of these cops and police unions do if you're not going to actually respect the institutions that you're you're answering to. Uh, but when I saw that, and I saw like Bo de Blasio's response to that, instead of him like going the way that he should have, and supposed like you know what, f you guys, we're cracking down, we're actually gonna like you know get corruption out of here, he went the complete opposite direction and completely backed the police unions and stuff, and I thought that was really bad. <laughs> it was no, call it what it was. It was soft. All right, it was, it was a soft move. To, you're the mayor of New York. All right, so I command some damn respect from these guys. All right. And at the top of that, like, so, you know, like, Bo de Blasio is a white guy. I get it. But yeah. Bo de Blasio uh, has married to a beautiful black woman. He has two kids that, under American standards, are considered black. Yep. Now, I do not give Bo de Blasio any slack for being white because of those scenarios, right? So when Bo de Blasio was saying, hey, I have a black son, I'm worried about him, this and that, this and that, and the third, didn't the police, like, release, like, his daughter's, like, Personal information. Yeah, they, uh, they doxed her uh, this past doxed summer her. after the uh, after the protests on um, the aftermath of George George Floyd's murder. With right. and from what I hear, there was no punishment. There was no clap back. There was nothing. Oh not God. even an angry tweet or anything like that. He just just he just bit, grinned and, and took it like he's it's just soft. You can't be a soft mayor of New York. I'm sorry. No, I don't care how liberal you are. You have to command respect. That office commands respect. Um, you have to stand up to the police unions. Someone has to. Someone has to. It's, it's, it's insane to me that like the police unions and the police departments have so much power. I mean, the whole point of the defund the police movement, I know we're spending a lot of time with this, but the whole point of defund the police movement is just like, 
so much of your city, your county, your state's budget goes to law enforcement. And like, you know, the numbers here that I just mentioned are dating back from 1985. You know, I can tell you from the 80s, New York was a shitty place. The 90s, New York was a shitty place. 2000s, eh, maybe, I don't know. Got a little like, better. A little bit better, right? Yeah. But crime was still in the same areas. It's still the same type of crime is going on. It might fluctuate up and down here and there, you know. Whatever. I mean, for New, for New York City, I know the crime had been uh, declining, I think, from the early 90s. Um, right. And it really took, I, I, the declines, I think, really took off uh, in the 2000s. But it was, it was steadily declining from, like, the early 90s, which I guess was, like, the worst period. Um, but, yeah, not, not, but it, I think there was some report that came out that it wasn't really connected to any of, uh, like, stop and frisk, you know, wasn't shown to do, it had to have had an effect uh, on the crime, yeah. on the, uh, the decline in crime. So, right. I mean, if that's what we're paying for, if that's what we're willing to put in, you know, massive amounts of our, you know, tax dollars towards, then, you know, it's the, the ROI on that is not good. It's not <laughs> um, good. It's a terrible ROI. It's, terrible. it's a horrible <laughs> ROI. That's my whole point, right? So it's just yeah. like, we're investing so much money in these departments. It's just like, what are the return on our investments we're getting? Yeah. Right? While, while other departments uh, locally, you know, can use a lot of work, whether it's infrastructure, whether it's education, whether it's uh, health and human services, or even parks and recreation or things like that. Like think about the places that you live. And if they're not you know, up to the standards that you want to see, you know, that's because the money is going to police officers and giving them, you know, military gear for God knows what reason. Right. And, te- and tear gas, you know, in order to control crowds uh, instead yeah. of, you know, making schools better. Little things like that. Right. No, a hundred percent. It's just like, well, we know, what the issues are that's like the craziest part to me is like everyone knows what the issues are everyone knows what the bad neighborhoods are everyone knows what is needed to fix those neighborhoods yet the response has always been as opposed to hey let's improve these schools there because the schools like i i lived nine years in philadelphia you you try to pass a school and it's like a prison <laughs> right just put some money behind the schools reform the schools like if you have to take the kids out the household because they have a destructive household we do not trust our foster care system or our group home system is horrendous for it's these bad. kids. It's very like, bad. Like we're pretty much like if a kid is being taken out of a home because it's too dangerous, we're putting them into another situation that's kind of like cultivating them to become future criminals. Like there's no investment behind that. Um, you know, like if you put money behind it, behind like social care work, behind like mental health services, I'm sure we're going to see a drastic decrease in crime in the long run. It might not happen immediately. And unfortunately, I don't think the press will give us the time of day for that. But in the long run, you'll see like a drastic decrease in crime. But I don't know. I mean, unfortunately, I guess the police unions are just too powerful. We just need like a stronger unit to go up against them. Or something. Yeah, I, th- I know it's something it's it has something to do with, I guess, with the contract. Like the unions apparently sign contracts with the government. Um, and I guess this, one of the stipulations or some of the stipulations they have in, the, in those contracts is about uh, punishing officers, holding them accountable for their actions. Yep. And anytime they try to introduce any clauses or provisions to, you know, hold them accountable, police, police unions, you know, that's when they start playing the victim card and say, oh, we're not yep. going to be able to protect ourselves or we're not be able to protect you guys. And this is wrong. And then, oh, we have to go and throw money behind your opponents and your local election. And uh, it just mm-hmm. becomes a, an entire mess. Um, and it's a shame. It's a shame. It, it shouldn't have to be like this. Um, so you actually like uh, kind of stumbled upon a good point. So the whole reason why the New York Times released this is actually because um, I think the one good thing that came out of New York State was that they passed a law that finally unmasked um, the misconduct allegations from various police departments in the state. 
which to me is insane, right? Because you have this armed government entity that's yep. patrolling your neighborhoods that there's already not a whole lot of oversight for. And if they commit wrongdoing, so even a crime, let's, say, let's call it what it is, a crime. If anybody you cannot it, access that. If we do it, it's a crime. If they do it, it's okay. It's like, oh, I don't want to get involved. Right. Like, like we, we literally have like an honor code system for the police department. <laughs> and we're, like, we're calling people out. We're like yelling at people for calling it. It's what it is. It's an honor code system that doesn't really work. Uh, so that's know. the only reason why like, we have this information is because like the New York State Legislature finally made it public for this information. But it's still being fought in court. The union is still fighting this, but thankfully a federal judge allowed it to go through. So at least this information can be released as they're still appealing the case in court. So we're thankful for that. But like I know we're picking on New York, but this is not a New York specific issue. This is nationwide. If it could happen in a blue state like New York, a liberal yeah. state like New York, you know, think about what's happening in a place like Texas or in a place like uh, in a place like um, I don't know, South Carolina, well, Virginia, we, Tennessee, we, Louisiana. Yeah. Louisiana actually has like their prisons can be described as you know the plantations. Um, yes, like the, the criminal justice system there is backwards. It's something out of like pre-slave days. Let's be honest. Yeah, no, their uh, criminal justice. I think their prison, the largest prison I think in the United States is in Louisiana. Someone fact check me on that one. Uh, but, I think you're right on that one. I can look it up uh, real quick, but but like any, well, as you look that up, anyways, like um, that prison is called Angola. And like to me, that is like I'm shaking off of that, right? Yeah, you're you're right. It is the largest prison. And like I'm shaking off of that because like Angola is a country in Africa. That particular country, I know, dedicated a lot of slaves to the slave trade. Um, on top of that, Louisiana really benefits off of that prison labor. Um, I think there was like a reporter, I forgot his name. He did a study on that where like he went over to the Louisiana State House, was talking to some of the politicians who are former law enforcement officials. A lot of them are. And a lot of the workers within the state capitol were prisoners. It literally, he said, he literally felt like it was seen out of the slave days because you have like these white politicians, these prominent politicians, and these black workers, and these black workers are, let's call it what it is, it's slaves. They're slaves, right? They probably got pulled over for some BS weed charge. Speaking of that, there was a cop here in Florida that got in trouble for planting evidence on people. He'll pull them over, ask to search your vehicle, and he'll plant evidence in the vehicle and say, hey, oh, well, you have meth in your car. How did this get here? And the person will be like, oh, my God, no. I'm wondering how many people are in jail because of that and are just serving these sentences because of that. That's, that's sick. We can dedicate an entire podcast to policing. Maybe we should. I don't know. Um, but I guess moving yeah. on, though, uh, you know, Speaker Pelosi, God bless her soul. Uh, so she's fighting the good fight, all right, for you and me, all right. Fight, Speaker Pelosi, a fighter for the left. Uh, she's she's endorsing she's endorsing Joe Kennedy, uh, so a congressman out of Massachusetts, uh, in the Senate race over the incumbent. Uh, what's his name? Ed Markey is his name. Ed Markey. Uh, yes. Now, why did this made the list? Right. So this made the list because. Uh, Ed Markey, he's kind of in that Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren um, camp of senators in the Senate. So he's yep. more on liberal end. So any major piece of like legislations that, like the Green New Deal, for example, he is one of the big backers behind like those more progressive bills. It is telling 
that Speaker Pelosi, right after the DNC, which we'll talk about later, but was talking about more so party unity, like kumbaya, it's all whole hands, Democrats, Republicans, left, right, whatever. Yep. Uh, that right after that the convention, that she was going to go out and endorse like a more centrist candidate in Joe Kennedy against an incumbent senator. My issue with that, though, is that you're a speaker of the House of Representatives. You're not in the Senate. This is more so Chuck Schumer's territory. Why are you, why, why are you dipping your toe in Chuck Schumer's territory in the Senate race? They're both Democrats. Why even bother caring? Like, there's more purple districts that you should probably throw your weight and support behind as opposed to like a solid blue district or state as in Massachusetts. Not to mention that you're, you know, you're again, you're dividing the party. You know, you're pitting, you right. know, your centrist camp versus the kind of liberal uh, camp uh, for no real reason. Like, again, Med Markey's 74 years old, okay? He's not going to be in the seat forever. Joe Kennedy can wait his turn and take it over or even if elizabeth warren if biden should win in november hopefully he wins in november um but should he win in november elizabeth warren might get the secretary of labor or secretary treasury posting why not just get joe joe kennedy her seat then um i don't understand the point of you know kind of dividing trying to divide the party over this seat um i don't get i don't get the strategy here at all unless it's um unless it's a personal or something um I don't, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a weird move, I think, for, this, for the establishment's wing of the party to kind of go after this guy uh, when it, it's, it's not what we're looking for as a party. It's not what the voters are looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, unless the only thing I can think of is that Markey is not doing well in polls against whoever the Republicans are running. Um, that's the only thing that can make that makes sense to me. Probably. But, he's been, but he's been in the office, you know, for a while now. Um, right. I think he's been actually. I think he's been senator since 2013, but he was a he was in the house before then for years. Um, so it just seems weird that he would be at risk now, especially in this kind of polarized climate, uh, where you know if you're a the blue voter, you're not going to suddenly change over to Trump after the especially after the last you know few years. You're not going to you know be like okay maybe I need to give this guy a chance. It seems very unlikely. I don't, so yeah, it just seems like a weird pivot or a weird move for Pelosi to make, especially as you said, coming right after the DNC, where we're all supposed to come together in this kind of kumbaya, hold ha- holding hands moment. That's you know turns out to be bullshit based on our actions. Right, hundred percent. And like another thing off of that, I don't know if you remember, but remember like when AOC and like the Squad came out and they're just like, hey, screw like the policies, we're gonna talk about what we want, and they they kind of made a big push for the Green New Deal. I think like when the Green New Deal was initially pushed, it created like an initial rift between like the establishment Democrats and that newer, more liberal wing of the party. And I do remember, I'm not a Nancy Pelosi hater. I think she's a great woman or whatever. But I do remember that Nancy Pelosi really came out and really criticized like that wing of the party to said, hey, simmer down. Yeah. You guys only have Twitter followers. Like, you know. Yeah, she said something to the effect of like, I guess the business of uh, the business of the country doesn't get done. The business of the house doesn't get done on Twitter, or something right. like that. Something to that effect. It was like it was very condescending, but it was also it felt condescending in the moment. But it was also like a uh, you know Nancy Pelosi you know, putting her balls on the table, like yeah, I, I still run this shit. I don't care what they're doing. Exactly, exactly. Um, but like I, to me, that's just like you're criticizing a Democrat more so than you're criticizing like the minority leader in the house. Yeah. And like that kind of sends a wrong message because like, sure, like they're more left than you are, but they're still part of the same party. You should, like that, unfortunately, that's probably what's going to be like our generation when we finally get in power, at least in the House and Senate. We're probably going to be like 
more leaning more left than like our parents' generation or our grandparents' generation. I think it's just it's just a fact. We're gonna be dealing. With, I don't know about that. I think that's great. I think because like we're gonna be dealing with like the effects of like global warming, for example. Right. Like that's gonna require like a pretty massive legislative scale. It's gonna take some pretty bold ideas, mostly left wing ideas to tackle that. Um, yeah. I get that. For for I mean, for certain issues, for sure, we're gonna be a little we're gonna be more to the left than our parents' generations. But I do mm-hmm. on the whole, though, I. I think it's something that comes with age. Like the older you get, the little, the more, the more kind of uh, settled down you get into life, you do get a little more conservative about things. Um, I think, and I think it's more of a natural thing too. So maybe some of these bigger issues, like you know, Green New Deal or addressing climate change, we're going to care. Like, okay, do something about that. Make sure that that's better for our children. But I can see, you know, when it comes to you know other issues that we're still, we're kind of more in that kind of center left channel. Um, that kind of puts a square with. Uh, you know more Pelosi than you know AOC in the direction that she wants to go but again I'm I'm figuring that out as I get older I just turned 29 a couple months ago so yeah I'm still I'm still yeah I'm still firmly in the uh in the liberal camp but um (laughs) there are some things that I'm like you know what uh maybe I should be a little more conservative on but we'll touch on that in our other pod when we do a MAGA Marcus and conservative Keith so speaking of that exactly (laughs) once this podcast goes up start making money off of it uh, yeah the hard the pivot to the right all right wait till you guys we're going on instagram we're going to start selling you know uh hydrochlorine uh, whatever that uh weird drug is and we're going right. to everyone, we're not wearing masks anymore unless they have holes in them it's gonna be great right just hey i'll back you whatever just give me my tax cuts <laughs> <laughs> nice. uh, so, so speaking of black republicans or our future selves um so the funny thing is for some reason on facebook I get a lot of conservative ads. I we know, know why. You know why. I because you be out here on the Fox News channels. <laughs> right? I, I, Facebook sees it and they're like, okay, he's on the Fox News page. He's definitely going to want to see. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. See these ads that we have. So like, um, so one of the ads I got was actually this black Republican in Maryland. Well, this black Republican, uh, she's running for Maryland 7th District in Congress. It's Kimberly um, Classic, I believe think her name thank is. Thank you. I was not going to pronounce that last name. <laughs> I'm going to be getting it wrong too, but I've, I've, I've heard Classic, so I'm going with Classic. Let's go Classic. Um, yeah. So anyways, so basically, like, uh, if you haven't seen the ad, it's kind of viral, but basically the ad is with her in high heels walking through almost like a scene out of the water. It is one of the most depressing blocks in Baltimore, you could possibly see. Yeah, way down the hole. Right, way down the hole. Shout out to that podcast. <laughs> um, it's extraordinarily depressing, right? And yeah. she's she's saying some facts. Like, you know, I hate to say it, but she's saying some facts. She's saying like, hey, 44 years of Democratic leadership, this is what it got you. It got you nothing. Like, this look, this literally visually look around me and you can see like what the issue is. Now, I thought it was shocking that, not shocking, but I thought it was surprising that she's not running for like city council <laughs> or, or mayor, but she's running for Congress, um, which is kind of telling. But anyways, the whole reason why this was on the list was, um, let's say, for example, the nightmare scenario happens for Republicans, right? So they lose the White House, but for the Senate, they lose Arizona, uh, they lose, they they lose, they can't win back Alabama. Uh, they lose Montana. They lose Maine. And it starts shifting more towards the blue. Nightmare scenario, right? And now the yeah. trend started downwards, right? Because I think even the house seems like it's pretty fairly trenched in the blue now. Um, should Republicans, 
if they lose the election, they should, one, they should, uh, you know, change course, but should they change the course now that they're focusing more on minority groups like African-Americans, Hispanics, whatever, kind of like what Kimberly has done? Mm. So I just want to, before I get into my answer, I just want to say that um, there was a special election for the seat back in, uh, back in March and Kimberly got blown out, it looks like. Um, <laughs> she got about uh, she got just about thirty uh, percent of the vote in Baltimore County and forty one percent in Howard County, um, but it was like seventy three to twenty seven um, for her uh, for her challenger uh, Kwezi Mafume. Uh, um, yeah, he's a former head of the NAACP as well. So um, he's not going anywhere. Yeah, I, he's probably firmly entrenched. But I get that you have to go and do something viral, but. Sure. Back to your point on this, if this, I mean, this strategy is, um, if it's a viable one, or if it's a way that they should, that uh, Republicans could go for blacks, I mean, they got to start somewhere, right? I think you have to kind of point out the fact that, you know, Democrats have not done, uh, what have Democrats done for you? Um, and start from there. And if it's a point of, you know, hey, Baltimore looks like this, with Democratic leadership, we can do better. I think that that's, that's fair. Um, but my thing is, my, it's my biggest thing with uh, the Republican Party is that they don't offer you guys. They don't offer you anything. There's no solution. You know? There's no solutions. This, they can point out a problem, but that takes no. I can point out problems uh, with the party, no problem. But they don't offer you any solutions. They don't offer you any salves. They don't offer you any incentives to to voting with them. They don't say that oh they're going to reinvest or they're going to bring in new business or they're going to bring in uh, funding for schools or anything like that that can make right. your life better because. Part of the problem with that is that they're, you know, ideologically opposed to those uh, sort of initiatives. So when you don't have that, and then you're kind of relying on, you know, private investment without the kind of connections to, to the private world, that's more often than not, and you can just look at the state of Kansas, um, if you want a proof of this, yeah. anytime you kind of turn over things to the private sector, they will, they will basically uh, pillage and take everything right. that they can uh, from you. Um, so yeah, if this is where they want to start, though, just by pointing out the problems and saying they can they can get better, hey, go for it, Republicans. But you also have to offer something to people. They're not just gonna they're not just gonna join your ranks um, just because you can you see the same issues that they do. I would also say this that um, her approach isn't it's new for the political sense, but it's not new. Um, this is something that Candace Owens got a hitter. Um, she's been doing this for years now. She's been kind of like highlighting issues. She is the worst. Yeah. How's that Brexit coming, by the way, if like 90% of black uh, voters are still voting for Democrats? That's not be going well. What was that? I think it's like 90% of black voters um, vote Democrat. Yeah. So I I do wonder, like, like she makes money off of like speaking fees and, you know, the attention that she kind of draws, but I'm just like, why? She's not effective. She's so I, loud. <laughs> I think she actually makes her money off of this. Is going to sound fucked up. I think it's more sort of dark money. Uh, so she was a member of Turning Point USA. Turning Point USA. I think they had some big dollar backer behind them. That's Charlie Kirk's uh, organization, right? Right. And yeah. funny thing is, um, we're probably spending a little bit too much time on this. But funny thing is, is that like uh, she could say whatever she wanted about black people on uh, on that platform, but as soon as she started making like Hitler comments. They got her death out here really quickly. Um, so she's on PragerU, which is another cons- major conservative platform. Uh, I think that guy who owns PragerU is like a pretty much big Republican donor guy as well. So I think she makes her money more so to, I guess, like Republican donors. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like 
they were bored just throwing their money out there as opposed to like speaking fees. Yeah, I'm looking up, uh, just looked them up to see who funds Turning Points. Um, it looks like it was funded by some uh, dark, Repu- dark money Republican uh, named Richard Ulhein, uh, who is known for making, you know, millions of dollars of uh, donations with his wife to uh, Republican and conservative uh, super PACs and organizations that they donated about $24 million back in 2016. Um, there are a number, another, uh, a number of other families that, you know, people aren't going to know. Um, one that might stand out, though, is Bernie Marcus, who, uh, for those of you who don't know, he's a co-founder of Home Depot. Uh, looks like he's also kind of, he's one of these, uh, one of the number of uh, benefactors. And it's one of the things that's, you know, I don't want to stay on this topic a lot, but um, if you look at the dark money, there's a, a large dark money web uh, in the Republican Party of people that are funding these these uh these people that we hear about all the time whether it's candace owens or charlie kirk or mike cernovich um even the breitbart guys they're funded by you know uh uh, i'm forgetting the family now that's um uh, the mercers the mercer mercer family family, yeah they were funded by those people for a long time but yeah like there's this is just a a large network of people with money who are like you know what we're just going to uh fund these people and make sure that you know about them and know about their ideas um, and it's just kind of interesting that's, uh, I don't know, it's interesting that this is, this is their, their tact, like all the money that they have and the ideas that they have aren't new. Um, they just, kind of, they don't offer any solutions. They just say, Hey, the places that you live suck. Right. Um, <laughs> and speaking of dark money, more work. Um, we can have a whole podcast on like, we need to have a serious conversation about like funding up behind politics. Right. Um, yeah. like there's a whole scheme, like we kind of like, talk about Russia a lot, right? But like Israel, the UAE, Saudi Arabia, they put in dark money behind like uh, certain politicians as well. Uh, but speaking of Russia, I know the Senate just released like a bombshell report that said, to summarize it, please do not kill me, but to summarize it is that whatever our worst fears of the Trump campaign back in 2016 with uh, Russia happened. Uh, <laughs> they worked with like intelligence agencies in Russia. Uh, they actively sought out their help, knowing what they were doing. Uh, Trump knew about it, his campaign staff knew about it, his family knew about it, and they used that information to try and swing the election. But uh, it seems like the Senate kind of quietly released that report. Uh, to me, it's just like we had a whole like Mueller episode, and they kind of got Mueller the F out of here. Like, all right, well, you didn't say you did anything wrong, which, you know, shame on Mueller for that, actually. Not only uh, do we have a Mueller investigation, we had a whole impeachment proceeding. <laughs> we had a whole impeachment proceeding too, and the Senate was like, "Nah, we're good. We're not. We're not going to talk about any of this stuff. We're not going to admit any of this evidence. Like, it's, it's, it's. Uh, <laughs> it's I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Let's let's talk about something fun before we go into the DNC, though. Okay. Um, so you love him. I love him. Everyone should love him. Kanye West, America's <sighs> next president. Um, God. Really- <laughs> <laughs> the darkest timeline. Kanye West is the president. Maybe the stupid timeline. I don't know which one. I I hope, Kanye, if you're listening to this podcast, one, why are you doing that? But two, um, if you're listening to this podcast. Why is he doing it? Because he wants to be more informed as he's about to take over the country. (laughs) Right. He's going to hire us as consultants. So that's my point. If you hire me as your campaign manager, our slogan is going to be, look, the national anthem, it's low-key racist. Who do you trust more to change it, me or the other guy? (laughs) <laughs> that's your slogan <laughs> oh man Kanye West is gonna make one of those gospel uh we uh what was the last name of his last album um whatever that album was it's gonna be like a gospel uh anthem and it's gonna be terrible we're all gonna have to sit around and act like we like it for Yeezys 
I mean, we we were probably that's probably what's gonna happen. Yeah, I mean, um, I would accept payment and Yeezys from his campaign, though. Um, just saying. I would too, actually. <laughs> I would accept payment and Yeezys as well. So it's uh, not you know, it's not taxable. I don't think you can't get taxed <laughs> on sneakers. It's a fact. Right, right. He's gifting it to me. Uh, See, so, sneakers are the new currency. Like basically, I can just resell. Oh um, uh, boy. The reason why I brought up Kanye, uh, this week he released like the states that he's on his ballot for. Um, so just to name a few, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Vermont, West Virginia, Colorado, Iowa, Utah, Minnesota, Tennessee, Virginia. He got off for, Virginia, for West Virginia. He got caught off for West Virginia? I mean, he has it on his tweet. I mean, this guy. I remember out. there was like a video that went on in like a, like, I have like a politics list on Twitter, but they said that he was trying to deliver it and they were and the clerk there was like, no, we're not taking this. It's late. I guess they were like an hour late and walking it over there, but <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they told him that they were going to, that it was delivered and they just tried to do it last minute and he doesn't know about it yet. I don't know. That but, um, sounds like a Supreme court case. I will go with, I'll, I'll go with Mr. West on this one. I'll give him West Virginia. Right. Right. Exactly. You give him West Virginia. Oh, he can have that. West Virginia. Sure. <laughs> I'll see what you did there. Uh, it's not a whole lot. Like I don't know, like what the strategy is. I know, like he had conversations with Jerry Kushner, who's like the brilliant political mastermind behind the Trump administration. God, he's like Harry. He's like Harry Kissinger, two No, Harry Kissinger got shit done. Well, <laughs> not shit, but he got shit done. <laughs> Wait, I thought we were going by what Trump thinks, because he. I mean, given the the amount of the amount of work that Kushner gets assigned, I would think that he was Kissinger part uh, two so Kushner, I don't know if he's got anything done, but I mean, he's the guy, he's the go-to guy for look, whatever reason. Yeah, look, Kushner got, um, he got the beautiful Israeli peace deal, which basically was just the peace deal that Bush signed. And they said, oh yeah, we agreed to the same peace deal that we agreed to back then. We, did, we delivered the remix, all right? We just, we, right. Did, we did the same thing, but better. Okay, guys? Uh, <laughs> Kushner gave us the amazing, amazing national response to the, uh, um, you know, the coronavirus, almost said the China virus, but we're not going to do that. Oof. Coronavirus. Wow, that's for MAGA Barkers and conservative Keith. All right, that's for the future. <laughs> right, that's for the future. Uh, so he, he like, delivered a response where he's like, we're, we can only target, we're not going to help the blue states. That was his strategy. Because the virus cannot cross the border <laughs> to a red state. <laughs> Wild. Uh, Let's give him his, you know, let's give him his credit, man. Yeah, um, Wharton grad too. Shouts to Wharton, you know, for giving us not just Donald Trump, but also uh, uh, Jared Kushner. Thank yeah. you, guys. Yeah, special shout out to Wharton. I know you guys think you're better than everyone else, especially yeah. in this world. Look what you did to us. Look what you have. Look what you're doing. <laughs> All right, get your shit together. Oh man. All right, let's go to uh, my favorite part now, uh, the DNC convention. Uh, yeah, you just had you just had an entire week. Or not, not an entire week, I guess, but four days of Democrats coming together in a way, not really, uh, not in person, obviously, because of the virus. Um, it was supposed to be in Milwaukee, but only a, a handful of folks went. Um, but uh, I got to say, given the format, uh, which was mostly people speaking uh, either over recorded uh, messages or recorded speeches or just live streamed addresses, uh, I liked the format. Um, given the amount of time they had to come up with it, I thought that it worked. Um, I didn't stay up for everything because I'm an old man. I just said I'm just turned 29, so I'm not staying up till 10, 11 o'clock to watch uh, speeches, especially when NBA playoff basketball is on. But it was good to kind of catch up on these things like later in the uh, the next day. 
um, and just kind of understand like where everyone's coming from. I did stay up for the Michelle Obama speech, which I thought was, I thought was perfect. Definitely the yeah. best way to kick it off. I, I really thought it was good. Um, it was, it was, it was really good. Probably the best one of the week. Um, Kamala Harris's address was, uh, was nice. Um, I don't, she still has a little more work to do for me. Um, even though I'm going to vote for her anyway, there's some things I'd like to hear from her. Uh, but I thought it was well done. It was, it's always nice to hear, uh, former president Obama speak. Um, Clinton, it's kind of weird that we still kind of throw him out there, given uh, how we've advanced as, uh, in, in light of uh, the whole Epstein situation. I, I know, I was going to talk as, about that, actually. Yeah, I, yeah, we still can get into that, but yeah, that was a little weird. Um, yeah. But, you know, I thought his words were fun. I liked Hillary Clinton that they brought her out on the second to last day. Um, she had a moment. Where I honestly thought she should have just uh, just said, I told you guys so. I told you this was going to happen. I, I thought, like, uh, sorry to cut you off. I thought she was funny that she was poking fun of herself. Yeah. I thought, <laughs> I thought that was funny. And she was like, you think, like, you can win the popular vote and lose the election? Just look at me. <laughs> no, it's something I've noticed, too. Like, in, in the aftermath of the election, she's been very – she's been much more willing to deal with self-deprecating humor and kind of show a side of herself that I don't think a lot of people uh, had seen. Uh, but if they hadn't, especially in 2016, I think she would have been able to win a lot more hearts and minds uh, that year. Um, there's also a really good documentary, if you haven't seen it on Hulu, uh, that follows the her, camp, her, her rise, but also her campaign and that failure that I think shows another side of her that we hadn't seen. Um, but yeah, um, and then there's obviously the Biden speech, which I thought was, I didn't think he had that in, that in him. Um, I don't know about you, but I was joking about this guy not being able to put, to get, put together a coherent sentence about a year ago. Look, I, it's up on Thursday night that was, and there was the speech of a lifetime. And I'm like, God yep. damn it, I'm going to vote for this guy. And I feel good about it. Like this guy is saying everything I need to hear right now. He knocked it out of the damn park. What do you, so think? Like, what did you think about it? Not to cut you off again, but like for the Joe Biden speech, this isn't that Trump rhetoric. No. That we're talking about here. I guess Trump is a Democrat at heart. I don't know. Cause he really follows like the Democratic Party. But um, I've tweeting it like he was like getting paid, <laughs> getting paid for it. <laughs> And sending out his own response like he's a political blogger. Like, I know you work for Politico, my guy. It was so funny about like uh Trump is like he's not sure like he's not sure like, what direction to use to criticize the Democratic Party. He's like, Oh, see, they're not left enough for you guys. Oh, see, like he's going too far left for you guys. He has no so, idea. What is it? <laughs> Even his ads are seeing that he's like, Oh, Joe Biden wants to defund the police. Um, he's like, oh, wait, no, Kamala Harris did uh, X, Y, and Z. She's, she's soft on crime. Like, what's it going to be, guys? So she's too hard on crime now. She's not good for black voters. Like, um, what's it going to be, Trumpy? Come on. Right, right, exactly. I mean, your, your, your messaging is, like, all over the place. Yeah. Um, but, like, yeah, like, you know, I was surprised. Like, I mean, if you – we follow politics, like, pretty extensively. Um, so, like, us watching the primary debates and seeing Joe Biden performing primary debates – this guy had a massive curve compared to everyone else. Um, so, you think so? Because he was getting... Yes, 100%. All right, All right. 100%. it's weird because on Twitter, we were killing him, right? Social yeah. media was killing him. In real life, they were eating it up. And they were like, this guy, this guy's spitting right now, all right? That's, it's, the, curve. Of... That's the curve. That's the curve. Because it was like, so weird. Like, if, if Joe Biden, not Joe, but if Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren stuttered on stage, oh my God, that's a huge deal. Joe Biden... 
Bernie Sanders, not to cut you off, but it was his suits that rubbed people the, long, the wrong way. His suits did not fit, and he was always yelling, and people did not like that. I'm not going to lie. I do not like Bernie Sanders suits at all. <laughs> I, I do not like this. Like, I'm all here for the suits hate for Bernie Sanders. He suit. bought them like 20, 30 years ago, okay? Excuse yeah. him for not being able to go get them tailored uh, all the time like Joe Biden. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. <laughs> I'm all for the suits hate. Like, look, man, look respectable. Um, oh, didn't he have like a moment on stage where like he was like the first black female senator endorsed me? And Kamala looked at him was like, no, I didn't. <laughs> no, wait, I'm sorry. Cory Booker was like, what? She's right here. And Kamala was like, no, I did not endorse you. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's bad because that's that probably happened. I don't remember it at all because he had so many other errors where it was like I wasn't even thinking about him. Like I thought he was right. going to be out of the race by September of last year. Oh, so I was, I was like, I don't have to pay attention to him. He has to give, um, you know, mispronounce his name, but uh, Congressman Clyburn in South Carolina. Yeah, that's that's, that's great. Uh, he has to give him like a prominent role in the administration because, like, he yeah. literally saved single-handedly saved the campaign. Uh, it's funny. Like, I wonder if he goes. Like, who is Clyburn going to? Who? Like, who thought that he would want to be the kingmaker? But Sue, like, who could he have gone with? Like, if he goes with Pete Buttigieg, does that? Are we still going with like a like a a long race after that or does amy call the car which could she have won it i i wonder i would have loved uh, to have been, been like a fly in the room uh a fly on the wall just to hear like those conversations with clyburn and trying to say okay who who should i endorse to win south carolina because like that changed the changed this entire race you could be uh, talking about Pete, uh, president Buttigieg right now or presidential uh nominee that's a, that's a actually a really, really good um, – that's a really good question, though, because, like, because, like, the whole, like, I guess for us centrist, but, like, the moderate Democrat or the established Democrat wing, it was between, like, three people. Um, so that, that's a really good question. Like, who do you decide to go for? You know, do you either go for Pete or for a limited political experience? Do you go for Amy, who is a much younger female version of Joe Biden, or do you go for old man Joe Biden? Yeah, the real deal. Money. Right. And it's just like, I, I don't know like how that, how it happened. Maybe just like networking, I guess. Maybe because he knew like Joe Biden longer. And had to go long, cause I think they're closer in age, to be honest. I think they are up there in age. So I wonder, I, I'm just curious, like, because they, they worked together for so long, that's why he felt the need to like, you know what? I'm just going to endorse him and see what happens. It's one of those things too, I guess, like something that was spoken about a lot during the DNC was how... Uh, I guess how friendly Joe Biden was, how warm he was, how like people could like really how he, people were able to establish relationships with him, and I guess that's something that could have come into play with right. Clyburn uh, in getting that nomination. Whereas you know Buttigieg is from South Bend, Indiana. He's probably talked to you know only a handful of black people in his entire life, I imagine. Um, Amy Klobuchar, you know, she probably she might have had a relationship, but it probably wasn't uh, you know as deep as what uh, Joe Biden was able to kind of establish with Clyburn. So yeah, right. it's a good point that they're you know in the same age and they probably have a history going back uh, you know years. I'm sure. Right, I'm sure like that's probably was a deciding factor was just like their relationship together, um, which is which I want to say. Did he create the slogan "We Know Joe"? Oh, was that a slogan before before that era? Because like I know like the DNC highlighted what we know Joe and Joe knows us, like all throughout four days of the thing. But like he created that, and like Joe was like, "This works. Let's just go with it." I'm looking at it now. It looks like uh, the first hit that comes up is um, the AFL-CIO president uh, Richard Trumka. 
says oh, it. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah. James Clyburn also said it too back in, I guess he just said it recently. But yeah, one of them, one of them said it. One of those two said it. Yeah, I mean, either Clyburn or Trumka. He did like the commercial in South Carolina where it was just like he's sitting down and he's like, we know Joe and Joe knows us. And he's just like, that's it. That's it. That's it. South Carolina, vote for him. It's, know him. <laughs> it's funny. As soon as that happened, like it was a wrap. Like uh, Buttigieg and Klobuchar dropped out right away. And then, you know, Super right. Tuesday happened and everyone else was gone. Well, the DNC was very quick to um, make sure that like we're not going to have any more surprises that Bernie Sanders cannot, in theory, win the primary. Because, like, as soon as, like, Joe Biden, like, won South Carolina, it was, like, very instant that, like... Uh, Those centrist candidates all fell out. Right. And this is kind of, yeah. it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of like unheard of that, like, they dropped out so quickly and endorsed Joe Biden so quickly after the fact. Um, yeah, I mean, it just shows that they just didn't really want to back a candidate like Bernie Sanders, which, ironically enough, everything that Bernie Sanders kind of, like, campaigned for is exactly what we need to do in this COVID era. Education uh, investments, uh, healthcare, um, you know, yeah. social justice issues, whatever. Uh, but like, there was one thing that, um, just to wrap it up with the DNC, um, that like I kind of pointed out, and I'm sure no one else caught because who cares except for me. Uh, you have a vendetta. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, so a little bit about me. So I'm West Indian, part West Indian, or background's West Indian, parents are from Barbados. Um, Kamala Harris is a Jamaican-American, Jamaican-Indian-American. In her speech... In case you haven't heard over the last, you know, <laughs> last few weeks. In case they haven't reminded you. And she's a Howard grad. Shout out to Howard. Um, so... The real she, HU? Yeah, I got a shout out HU. Uh, so basically, like, with Kamala Harris, her speech was very family-oriented. Or like, the lead-up to her speech was very family-oriented. They showed her... Uh, stepdaughter they showed her husband they showed her sister they showed her niece uh, and then like her speech was very heavily on like how disappointed she was that her mother couldn't be there to witness her at this moment very touching moment right the thing that kind of like shocked me though was um the the lack of her dad there her dad's still alive surprise surprise and her dad's only three years older than joe biden so in theory she probably looks at joe you can't tell if she looks at Joe and that reminds, that reminds her of her dad in some sense. Um, we don't hear anything about her dad. Her dad only kind of came out once in the news when he criticized Kamala Harris for her, hey, I'm Jamaican, I smoke weed comment. And he really kind of criticized her for that, right? Uh, so for me, it was just kind of like telling that, hey, our first West Indian-ish president or vice president actually really doesn't have much of a connection at all to you know, Jamaica or to the West Indies at all, you know. I don't know. For me, that was just like telling mm. that how family-oriented her speech was, yet her only living parent was so noticeably absent there. It kind of reminded me of Meghan Markle and her dad. In yeah. Um, just kind of, but the, the difference between that, though, is that Meghan Markle publicly, at least didn't publicly, but she reached out to her dad to try and bring her dad to the wedding or whatever. I don't think that happened here. <laughs> I don't no. think there was any connections like reached out to her father. It's like, hey, I want you to, for this five second segment for the DNC, you know, whatever. Well, no, I just looked it up and there's a whole apparently New York Times article um, that says that I guess they had they kind of lost touch after uh, Kamala and her father. They had lost touch after uh, her, their parents, the parents divorced um, and they, he was not really a prominent part in her life afterwards. Um, 
And I guess yeah. the only time, the only time that we really know of them kind of interacting, I guess would be, there was a letter that he had written, um, I guess about or kind of chastising her for mentioning uh, smoking weed because of her Jamaican ancestry or something like that. Yeah, that was it, he was yeah. like, yeah, don't he, he? I guess he took issue with her, or right, rightfully took issue with her, kind of giving into that right. stereotype. Right. Um, but yeah, I think that's you know it is interesting that she you know she goes out as you said she goes and mentions her family but then leaves them out. But it, I guess it stems from them not being close after the divorce, and really her mother kind of it sounds like the mother really uh kind of put up a wall of some sort where they did not really have the chance to interact as much as they would have otherwise, um, right. which is that's, which is very interesting. That's what he's claiming. He's claiming that like the mother put up a wall, um, you know. To prevent a relationship between those two. I mean, he's not some bum. He's a very prominent guy. He's a professor of economics at Stanford. Yeah, I'm a prominent econ- economist, according to the Times. Right. Very, very prominent guy. He's very progressive, too, like Malcolm X supporter and everything, too. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's like, for me, just, you know, as a Bayesian, it's just like, we've come so close to having like a West Indian vice president, and she's not even close to the West Indian side of, her, of herself due to her father <laughs> it's just so frustrating um but anyways that's a little rant about that uh just wrap things up uh should the dnc continue this method going forward or should it go back to the uh the conventions of the past format only go forward all right we're not going <laughs> back to those lame ass big ass party conventions that nobody really cares about like this was actually this was well, this felt a little more intimate when it was just like a personal and it felt like somebody coming into your having a video chat with someone, um, right. having a quick address with someone, which I appreciated a lot more than these kind of big speeches that get interrupted every five, every, you know, four, five, 10 minutes or whatever, especially if you have like a long-winded speaker. Like I don't want to sit through claps or whatever, especially if it's late too. Let's wrap this shit up. Um, yep. Yep. I, pre- so I, I prefer this one. I don't know. How, how do you feel about it? I think you still have a out of my mouth and I'm going to yeah. you know, follow charges against you for that. But um... <laughs> Um, but no, like I 100% agree. Like I thought, like um, this was more geared towards like for the Twitter generation. So, like for example, uh, Michelle Obama's speech. I don't think that's spe- this. This might be right. I don't think her speech would have hit the way it would have if she was in front of a live crowd. You know, I think that the seriousness of her speech, the tone of her speech, really hit because like there was no crowd there, and I can take that speech and tweet it. Just yep. that speech. You know, I don't have to like, you know, edit out the crowd noises or anything like that. It's just that one speech. So Agreed. I think going forward, they should definitely not do conventions. Plus like holding a convention, like I know Philadelphia had one. Dude, it is expensive for the city. They have a shit ton of cops patrolling the area. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, like whenever a city holds a convention, they're losing a shit ton of money anyways for it because of the security upgrades that they do for it. And then like, you have like a bunch of people dressed up in like patriotic shit. It's just like, what? I can't even go inside the damn thing. I can't even see what's going on. Everyone so looks like a this... clown at these things. Like, there's no, what's the point of it? The whole, the spectacle of it is unnecessary. Right, exactly, exactly. I, I think just to wrap it up, the roll call kind of sums it up, like why we should move to virtual going forward. Because <laughs> as opposed to like the roll call just being a bunch of people like super excited, hold up like a Texas sign. You're actually going to like, you know, monuments of prominent areas in each state. You're doing like a virtual tour of the U.S. So if you're someone that doesn't really travel much or don't really get out much and you're seeing different parts, you have to keep that element of it. I mean, that's probably the best part of the entire convention was the roll call, in my opinion. 
I did like the roll call. I, I, I think it's, I forgot to mention it, but yeah, I think it's one of the best, it's one of the better ways I think to kind of do that, uh, to do that process. Um, real quick, just, uh, I know we said we we're going to wrap it up. There was a weird kind of thing with AOC um, that got a lot of attention where she, uh, I guess she got, uh, she was asked to, uh, I guess, second the nomination of, uh, or second the candidacy of Bernie Sanders. Um, yeah. It's something that happens, you know, it's a procedural, uh, it's just it's something that gets done procedurally. And it's something that um, I guess was a little confusing. The first time I read it, on, uh, I guess it got tweeted into my feed and I was like, what? what does that mean? He's not running anymore. Is he about to spark trouble? And that's, I read funny enough, it was the NBC tweet that AOC wound up taking issue with that. Uh, that's what I had read. And um, they made it seem like there is this kind of rift in the party that we've kind of touched on a couple of times already. Yeah. But yeah, I just thought that that was something that's, again, if we're going to change the convention, let's get rid of that too. <laughs> let's, let's, let's cut that crap out. Because it's it, all I did was confuse us for a minute, and like right. I think everyone who's kind of paid attention to what's happening with the Democratic Party or is tuning in for a convention speech, like we know that Bernie Sanders won. We don't need a procedural uh, event to kind of mark that. We know that it happened. Um, let's keep right. moving. Focus on the other things like these addresses that we want. What's the platform going to be? Um, and you know, more roll call videos. That's what I'm here for. Right. So like uh, just to touch up on that. So um, I think the procedure was is that you need to have a third and certain threshold of delegates to to be nominated for uh, the DNC president or whatever. Not, I'm using the wrong terms, but to be nominated for president by the DNC. And so the Bernie, Clinton nomination. The Clinton nomination, right? So like the whole thing was that the reason why Bernie Sanders kind of waited so long in the primaries was to clinch that so you can have a little bit more say in the DNC platform going forward. Yep. Um, so he, he surpassed that. So by the rules of the convention, mm -hmm. um, AOC was like, I nominate this guy, you know, because she's following the rules. And so like AOC got kind of upset because one, I think she was asked to do it. And then two, all the networks like your CNN, your ABC, your NBC, your Fox News, they've been around for a while. They know the procedures. Yep. I'm, this is probably not the first time this happened either. It's just that it's more marketable to kind of just chastise AOC because once she only got one minute, John Casey got way more. Uh, she's super liberal. Uh, people don't like her, I guess. And like she did this, and this is more marketable to kind of sell that and sell her confusion as opposed to like explaining, okay, this is why she did it. This is like, you know, procedural. But I agree with you. I mean, like that part should be taken out. It did add a lot of confusion, but I don't hate AOC for that, though. I agree. I no, understand why she on, did it. It's not on AOC. Be... It's, on, it's on the DNC. It's on the networks as well for kind of making, turn, trying to turn it into something that uh, a controversy, a mini controversy to kind of show party division uh, okay. when, you know, if you want examples of party division, there are plenty of other examples to go to <laughs> than this little procedural uh, nomination that, uh, that she did. There was no, no need to, to do that. But um, yeah, I... I agree with you 100%. And I actually didn't know that it was um, it was tied to the whole delicate cow thing. And I, uh, I guess it's basically his his ability to kind of influence what goes on the platform, correct? Right. Exactly. Yeah, so more if delegates. You, yeah. If you watch like, the entire roll call, like you'll notice, like like California, for example, be like we nominate Bernie Sanders for president, right? Right. Because like that's the state that he won, and because he won enough of those states or enough of those delegates, because this essentially is like the electoral college just for the party. That's right. what it is. And so he won enough like uh, delegates to be like nominated for uh, you know by the DNC to be president or whatever to run for president, 
It's just that, like Joe Biden had more and he won. So it is confusing. Yes. Should it be taken out? Yes. Because the roll call kind of sort of does it anyways. Yep. Um, but I, you know, I, it was just, you know, it was just like procedural BS and you yeah. know, she's just an unfortunate bystander of it. Yeah, it's just one of those things that's, you know, if you're putting on a production, like that's one of those like kind of like back house things that you guys you take care you take care of, of when it's off the camera. That's all. 100%. Uh, so I know like, I know you said like last topic, like four times. Last topic, though. John Kasich. There's a lot to cover, guys. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot to cover. Sorry, guys. Um, John Kasich, uh, did you watch like the Republican section of the DNC? I tried very hard to avoid that because I'm not a Republican and I don't think Republicans <laughs> belong at a Democratic National Convention. I'm sorry. You know who's not going to speak at next at this week's uh, Republican National Convention? Elizabeth mm-hmm. Warren, Joe Manchin. They're not going to be there. Why yeah, is John Kasich at the Democratic National Convention? I don't get it. I know. I mean, I know why he's there, but he doesn't need to be there. I, 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 so I understand the strategy of it. Like uh, the Democrats' strategy since the Clinton era has always been, look, we win elections by appealing to the independent or moderate Republicans, trying to get them to vote Democrat. Yeah. We, don't, we don't win elections by appealing more towards our, the base that we already have. We yeah. appeal more towards the base that we don't have and try to swing them over to us. Does it suck? 100% because people like us, the African-American vote, we get kind of excluded out of certain policies. Um, like the Bernie Sanders wing gets kind of excluded out. And it seems like the more moderate Republican or independent talking points is kind of like the, the centerpiece of the Democratic Party. It's super frustrating, but I do understand like why John Kasich was there to kind of to drive on the point that like we don't like Trump or Republicans don't like Trump. I just the one part that I didn't like about his speech was like he said, "If you think Joe Biden is too far left, don't worry, I know the guy." And it's just like, what the hell does "too far left" mean to you, John Kasich? Yeah, <laughs> do you want to expound on that a little bit, John Kasich? While you're here, while we have you at, right. our, at, uh, at our convention, why don't you tell us a little more what "too far left" is? He didn't want to get oh, into right. that, uh, which probably was wise. I'm sure the DNC council come like, "Hey, don't don't dig into that. We don't we don't, we don't want to start another fight." All right, let's save that for NBC News later on when we have AOC speak. Right. Well, I mean, like the DNC, the into- my only critique of the DNC convention was that it was very, very um, loose. Or not loose. There was a lack of policy for the DNC. Um, they kind of, I know we criticized the Republicans for doing this, but they did a really good job of like the Black Lives Matter highlighting the issues, the issues that we talk about with mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter. Uh, they did a good job highlighting like, um, you know, like our issues with, you know, the lack of democracy that we're seeing like a tr- downward trend in democracy in our country did a really good job there, but they did like, they didn't really talk about how we we're going to fix that. I know that's probably by design because it's trying to get people like motivated to get out and vote, but yeah, I, for me, it's not like false politics. This wasn't meant for me, but I just wish I had a little bit more policy to it. Yeah. It was really more of a, Hey, this is, you know, the world is at, is at a crossroads right now. We can either continue in the direction that we're going or we can kind of, you know, change it. Um, because of the uh, because you know things are bad right now and they're not going to get any better with the guy in office. Um, they really kind of try to speak to that more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, this kind of it's and it goes back to that whole you know Hillary Clinton's campaign with you know Donald Trump not being fit for office and you know right. uh, even Steve Bannon when he when Trump won you remember it was you know they want to dis- they want to uh, what was it, what was the term that he used he wants to um, it was just this idea of a political disruption. They want to disrupt the entire state state of affairs uh, that we had right. seen um, for the federal government. Right. And I think that's what we've seen in the last four years. And that's kind of what they, what's, you know, each of the speakers, if there was like one kind of, 
there was one kind of theme to everything that we heard uh, last week. It was that, you know, we have to kind of return. We have to start returning to normal. We have to do the work of getting, of getting back to normal and building back better, which by the way is a terrible slogan. Uh, it sounds dumb <laughs> and I can't believe <laughs> I, get, be, be, build back better just sounds bad. Like someone got paid for that. Um, multiple people got paid off of that slogan and it's, it's That's just, it just sounds stupid, right? Like just, just <laughs> get an office on K street and just give people these terrible slogans to use in their campaigns. All right. And make six figure checks off of that. Like it's nuts. It's nuts. But, um, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's something that I would have liked to hear more about what, what the actual plans are. Um, I know it's one of the things that's, uh, like my candidates would have been Elizabeth Warren going back, if, you know, if we could rewind the clock a year. Uh, yeah. But one of the things that killed her was that she kind of showed the work of how she would kind of fix, fix the nation um, by, you know, putting out actual policies and how things would get paid for. And that's one of the things that kind of killed her. So we, I get that. I get why we don't want to do that. Podcast on Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. I, really quick. I think the reason why her campaign kind of floundered the way it did was sexism. Oh, uh, big time. Because that's like. A big part of it. Yeah. Um, I, I never seen outside of Bernie Sanders, obviously, but they really hammered her on the tax question which wasn't fair because Joe Biden kind of mentioned, oh, my healthcare plan isn't cheap either, but it's less expensive than hers. And it's like, well, cool. Hammer him on how you're going to pay for it too. <laughs> no, no one never, no one did that. It was all, no and it's, that. it's the problem. That's what happens when you show the work. Um, right. I, and I don't, I mean, I don't know why she did that. I get, I know where it comes from because she's like a really smart person who thinks very, she's very thoughtful when it comes to these kind of policy things. Right. Um, and she probably did a lot of work in putting together the policy and thinking, oh, yeah, people will ride with it. And when nobody did, um, or I shouldn't say nobody, nobody supported her, but like the people that matter, like the media was always all, all, all aligned against her. Uh, people with money, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, everyone was like, no, we're not supporting this. And it, it really killed her. So I get why the Democratic Party was like, you know what, for this convention, let's not get into the details. Let's kind of focus on this one kind of message. We want to get this guy out of office. That's going to be our line. That's what we're going to go for. And I can't argue with it because I mean, it is right. I think Trump is a threat to uh, I mean, he's he's not a threat. He's an, he's an actual problem that we have to deal with. But I don't think that I mean, I, w- I just would have liked to know like how they're going to do this. And I guess we'll hear more of it, if it, especially if they ever do a debate. I don't know if we'll ever get there. I, um, if I was advising a Trump campaign, uh, which would be an amazing job to have, uh, I would tell him, do not, for, for the life of you, do not have a debate. Do not have a debate. Right? You think he would be bad? I mean, after how bad Biden was in debates last year, I think he would get killed. No, so I disagree. And here's the reason why. Wow. Because, um, so Biden, Biden did terrible in debates when he was in front of the crowds and when he was in front of crowds, he did horrible. All like those like cringeworthy Twitter videos we see, he's in front of like a large group of people. And like, he doesn't like, he kind of gets like wrapped up. This is sounds, this is our future president. Hopefully he kind of <laughs> gets wrapped up in the crowd. And I, I, he just gets caught up in the moment. Like, I don't know, like, with the, like he was telling these black kids, I like ants in my pants or whatever, like some cringeworthy stuff he says. But like his best debate performance was actually versus Bernie Sanders when there was no crowd. It was just him, Bernie, and the moderators. He was very calm, very cool, answered a lot of questions. It actually reminded me of like a Senate debate, basically. Mm-hmm. Of like those two guys, 
your creatures of the Senate, and they're just having a debate on like different policy types. That's what it felt like more to me. Like there was no like real like issues with like Joe Biden. So if they, if coronavirus is still like an issue going forward, which it most likely will be, and Trump and Biden have a debate and there's no crowd, I think that's going to play a huge advantage to uh, Biden and a huge disadvantage to Trump. Because remember back in 2016, we all tuned into the RNC debates because Trump played into the crowd. Yeah. And his debates <laughs> against like Hillary Clinton, he played into the crowd. Like the, the crowd is like, yes, Hillary Clinton is right, but you are funny. <laughs> so like he kind of played into that type of sense right there. And like, you know, if I'm the Trump campaign, you know, do not have a debate. A lot of people are more focused on the, the, the Harris-Pence uh, debate. That's only one debate. I don't really think the, the media and Twitter is hyping that up too much. Who cares? Uh, yeah, it's only one debate. No one cares about the vice president. Does anybody remember the Biden, uh, the Biden Paul Ryan debates oh, or uh, no. Tim Kaine, no Mike Pence debates? Like, who cares? No who, who even remembers Tim Kaine? Let's I, just go off of that. I um, honestly didn't think I was going to remember his name. I got the Tim part right, but I was like, oh fuck, <laughs> I, he's such a forgettable character. But yeah, I don't know who cares about these vice president debates really. No one cares about the vice president debates. I understand Kamala is an amazing debater. She's an amazing speaker, um, but. Again, like Mike Pence, he's not Trump. He's an experienced politician too. Yeah. So he's not dumb. Like he he knows like like his last debate, um, his last debate, he barely answered any of the questions. He just like said like very straightforward politician answers and he just got by. He only has to do it once. Although to be fair, I think that was at the time when he was thinking about leaving the campaign because that was right after I think the uh, Access Hollywood videos had come out. Uh, I was, think so. I, I think you're right. I think that yeah. was around the time the Access Hollywood videos came out. Yeah, he was uh, very he, upset with Trump. Not as upset enough to leave the ticket, but he was very no. upset and very, very, he felt very hurt by it. His religious values didn't kick in yet. Yeah. So. But yeah, no, I, I mean, if I'm the Trump campaign, like, I'm not pushing for a debate. That's I'm interesting. Use COVID to try to get out of debate as much as possible. Use some national security crisis. I know the Bush administration kind of did that. They like watching a blotted video right before the election. Do you do something to get out of the debate? You know, but do not debate these guys. And I think if they avoid a debate, they can get at least close enough where they can either contest the election or Republican strategies like in Tennessee can work to try to tip it into Trump's favor. But that, again, like I don't work for him, so hopefully go Biden, go Harris. <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, I don't think they should have the debate though. That's interesting. Yeah, it'd be fascinating to see if they skirt around that, but they have to. They absolutely have to. I so. take nothing off the table with this administration. Anything could happen. All right. Anything could happen. It could turn into like a Fortnite fight for all I care. You can just like, no, I'll just take him on on Fortnite and we'll just do that. Like, I have no idea what can happen. Well, like, what's Trump. like surprising to me about like this campaign is just like how dysfunctional it is. If I'm, if I'm again, if I was working for the Trump campaign, I'm calling Mitch McConnell. I'm calling uh, Kevin McCarthy, I think his name is, the minority leader of the House. Uh, saying, yeah, hey, McCarthy, yep. McCarthy, sorry, McCarthy. I'm thinking of the, the, uh, the Green Bay former coach for some reason. Yeah. Uh, yep. I'm, I'm calling you and say, hey, you two pretty much draw out what I'm supposed to do in the next term. Oh, no, Kev, <laughs> Kev, you're talking about Donald Trump. He's not doing He's anything not that anybody tells him to do, all right? You know, Hold on. He's not doing that. He's, man only trusts one thing, his gut. 
Okay. And trust right. Anyone, right. Who's, trust right. anyone who's been there before, he's like, no, what? No, I'm going to do what feels right. So he's probably going to have a debate in like a month and it's going to be terrible for him. And he's going to be like, whatever. The media is biased. It's all fake news. That's what's going to happen. Right. Because Trump is a terrible speaker. One. Terrible. Terrible. Terrible debater. Two. And it's just going to be disastrous because he doesn't have a crowd to feed off of. I mean, that's his whole thing. It's a crowd. Pick up the crowd. So. Yeah. So if I was advising him, but I was like a, like a plant or you know, a spy from <laughs> the Biden campaign, I would say debate Trump. Go for it. You got him. All right. Sleepy right. Joe is not going to bring it for this debate. All right. So you go off on him. All right, buddy. Right. Right. Go ahead. Keep America great again, buddy. Right. Exactly. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Biden-Harris campaign should 100% push for a debate. Trump, whatever, should not. And if they do push for a debate, they should do the very Republican thing to do and say, we want a crowd there. <laughs> and obviously the networks or whoever aren't going to push for that because they don't want to become the news story. And that could be their out for future debates. Uh, but yeah. avoid debates as much as possible. But I, like you said, Trump follows his gut. We could have a debate and it would be disastrous. Um, I think the only thing I'll probably say the Trump campaign, surprisingly, would be the Pence-Harris debate. Because <laughs> I, like, I think Trump and Biden, it's either going to go one of two ways. Biden's going to destroy Trump. Or is this going to be two incoherent old men going back and forth? <laughs> and we're just going to be like, whoa, what is wrong with us? <laughs> yeah, and the, the latter of those, this, the incoherent battle, I mean, that's not going to do anything for anyone. Like, if you're, right. like if, you're, if you're Team Trump and he goes out there and he's incoherent and he's saying nonsensical things, you'll be like, well, whatever. Look at Joe. He was, didn't do anything either. And if you're a Joe's right, supporter, right. you'll be like, look, I know what I'm voting for. Trump's more incoherent. He already has the job. All right. Exactly. It's not gonna exactly. That's not going to change my mind. Unless he says some crazy racist shit, which might be the death of him. But I don't think he'll do that again. I think he actually would. Um, <laughs> don't put it out there in the universe, Kev. <laughs> um, I don't need that. I think, I think he could. I don't know. It's, it's, it's possible. Because every time I hear like Biden speak, I just cringe. Like, please don't say anything super racist. <laughs> uh, he did say something that was like low-key kind of racist, but he just let it slide. He was just like... Unlike the black community, the Hispanic community is way more diverse. I'm just like, we decided oh, we're not going to talk about that. We decided we had, a, we had a meeting. We decided we're not going to bring that up. It never happened. I don't care what Google says. All right, it's 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 getting scrubbed. All right, all right, right, exactly. So I think that same day Trump said something stupid about COVID, and then we kind of focused on that instead. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right, yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah. So that was the last time he's gone two weeks, three weeks without saying something. I think he's, actually it may have been a whole month without saying something, you know, racist. Uh, Joe Biden. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, Trump's definitely going to probably play into. Um, I know, like for Trump, uh, he recently tweeted out like for your suburban homeowners or whatever, like we're not going to allow low-income housing into your community. Uh, I think he's trying to tap into some very '60s, '70s era style Republican talking points. Yeah, definitely. So I think, like, uh, I think here's the thing about Trump, and we'll get off this because we're going way over. Um, if Trump was a savvy politician, this would be scary. But the, the good thing for us is that he's not a savvy politician. Yeah, if he was Ted Cruz, I'd be terrified, but he's not. If he was Marco Rubio, I'd be terrified. Or yeah. if he had Dick Cheney advising him, I'll be scared. I'll be like yeah. applying if, to citizenship for Canada. I'd put States. all the money, on, yeah, I'd do that, but I'd also put all the money on Trump winning in, in November, too, if Dick Cheney was an advisor. God. Insane. No. <laughs> 
if Dick Cheney was advising him, Trump wins despite everything. Easily, Trump easily, wins. like easily, yeah. Come on. Um, all right, so I think I think that's all we have for today. Unfortunately, um, if you like what you heard, please like us, subscribe to us, continue yeah, to follow us, and subscribe us. You can also find us at what you expect. Uh, dot com where we're also uh, writing as well we'll have some more coverage especially this week we have the republican national convention some crazy shit's definitely going to go on there uh can't wait yeah we'll probably talk about it next week i imagine uh yeah we're gonna talk about it next week and please 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 follow us on twitter as well uh so it's going to be w-i-e liberalish um on twitter please give us a follow all right cool 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 all right, that's it. Yeah, I think that's everything. So.